Well, this week has been uh, full of coverage about Queen Elizabeth and her passing. Uh, preaching professor by the name of Joel Gregory at Truett Seminary in Waco posted on Facebook the following, which I would like to share with you. He said, there are few with us for a long time. From a friend of her chaplain, John R. Stott, I am assured that she was a believer. More than anything else, that matters. Haddon Robinson reminds us of what is true of all of us. At the end of the chess game, all pieces go into the same box. Common pawns and brave knights, bishops and kings. So also in life for, and death for all of us, the queen has met the king. I thought, that's on point. We all will have to appear before the king, the king eternal, who sits on the throne. And we'll give an account to him. He will judge us. Jesus talks about this in a parable that we call the parable of the sheep and the goats. He talks about the king on the throne and his judgment of all the nations. You can find it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, beginning with verse 31. I like to give it reading. It is a long passage, but I think uh, it is necessary that we read it all so you can have a sense of what Jesus is saying here. Matthew 25, 31, it reads like this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Then also, they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Wow. 
What a challenging word from the lips of Jesus. It is at the same time comforting and convicting, isn't it? We're in a series we started a couple of Sundays ago that we're calling The Gospel Changes Everything, because it does. And we talked uh, the first message about how the gospel changes any person. Anyone who believes can experience the power of the gospel for personal transformation. Then last Sunday we talked about how the gospel changes the family. That when you believe that that power of the gospel will overflow from you and it will begin to make an impact in your family. And today I want to talk to you about how the gospel changes whom we serve. Whom we serve. And so when we look at this passage we are reminded by Jesus that we serve first of all the king who will judge the nations. See the gospel allows us to see our lives from the perspective of eternity. That's why Jesus wanted his disciples to know this, so that they could live today understanding what will happen in the end. They wanted to know about the end times. They wanted to know about the destruction of the temple. They wanted to know about uh, when will the end come and how will the Messiah show himself. And Jesus answers their questions uh, in a very straightforward way. And then he gives them these parables. So I can imagine as, as they are listening this sense of fear, if not excitement, uh, about this day when King Jesus will come and he will come in all his glory with all the angels. This realization that the first time Jesus came, he came to a manger, but the second time he will come, he'll come to a throne. The first time that Jesus came, he came as a servant, but the second time he comes, he'll come as king. That the first time that Jesus came, he came to suffer and die, but the second time he will come to conquer and judge. The first time he came, there was a multitude of angels that showed up to the shepherds in the fields at night. But the second time he comes, he will come with all his angels and every eye will see. The first time he came, he came to a little town called Bethlehem. But the second time he comes, he will be king over all nations and he will stand and they will stand before him. For the Jews, they understood themselves as God's flock. The nation of Israel were the sheep who followed the great shepherd. And all other nations were like goats. Not all caps goats, but regular goats. The sheep were in the fold, but the goats were outside. And so judgment was about dividing the sheep and the goats about showing who really belongs to God and who doesn't. And Jesus confirms that. That's what will happen at Judgment Day. It's about granting them either eternal reward or eternal punishment, depending on who it is. Look at verse 34 again. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then you go to verse 41. It says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This is serious business. This is not about opinions. This is not about gray areas. This is about judgment day and eternal destiny. When you know who will sit on the throne, you want to be right with him, don't you? We all serve somebody. All of us, we serve somebody. We, some serve their dreams. Some serve the God of materialism. Some serve their addictions. Some serve their impulses. Some serve their sense of morality. Some serve their political party agenda. Some serve their traditions. 
Some serve their way of life. Some serve their image. Some serve their religion. Some serve the idols of the age. But the gospel today reminds us that if we follow Jesus, we serve the king. And it makes a difference. Because those who serve the king and understand that they serve the king will rejoice when the king comes in all his glory. It will be a good day for those that serve the king. It will not be a good day for those who don't. There's a, a song that we sing at Christmas that uh, we, we sing at Christmas about Jesus' birth or the first time he came. But this song was really written about the second time that he comes. Uh, if you look at the lyrics, you'll realize that. It says, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love. Those of us who have said yes to the gospel We'll rejoice. We'll, see, we'll say joy to the world. The king is come. He sits on his throne in all his glory. He will come to reward those who are faithful. The king who will judge the nations. Secondly, I want to say that we serve the kingdom of righteousness. If we serve the king, we serve the kingdom of righteousness. Judgment is about dividing, about deciding what's right and wrong. What, it's about drawing lines and and deciding those people are outside of God's will, God's purpose, God's heart, and, and these people are in. So we should ask ourselves from time to time, what is it that divides us? Where do we draw the lines in the sand? Who do we consider to be with us or against us? What are the battles that we fight, the hills that we want to die on? Some draw their lines around their denomination Others draw them around their theological convictions, their doctrinal stances. Some draw lines around ethnicity and race. Some engage in the culture wars with fervor and passion. Yet, I wonder if we would be surprised to find that Jesus doesn't judge according to our standards. Would it surprise us to find out that Jesus will not draw lines where we draw them? That his agenda looks different from ours, I'm pretty sure that those who heard Jesus' parable for the first time on that day were surprised that Jesus is dividing the righteous and the wicked by their acts of compassion. I imagine that there were people there who said, what, wait, hold on, what do you mean? Is that it? Is that it really? If, if you... If you fed the hungry and you gave water to the thirsty and you clothed the poor, you, you get to go to eternal life. And, and if you didn't, you don't. What, wait, what about my theological positions? What about my ethical stances? What, what about the things that I did for religion? What, what about the things that I did in God's name? But the criteria that Jesus uses in this parable is compassion. Those that show compassion to the needy are the insiders. And those that do not show compassion are the outsiders. It might have been surprising for them. It might be surprising for some of us. It was surprising even for the people being judged on that day. Did you notice that? They said, when? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? We didn't even notice that it was you. They were surprised by it. 
but they shouldn't have been surprised because God has always expected his people to show compassion. The law of Moses, the Pentateuch, the Torah, however you want to call it, is filled with instructions on how God's people should treat the poor and the orphan and the widow and the stranger. The book of Proverbs is filled with with the wisdom of compassion. And the prophets reminded the backslidden people of God over and over again about the importance of compassion. There are many examples that we could show from the minor prophets and the major prophets. There's one occasion when Isaiah is dealing with with the people of God who, who are suffering the consequences of their backsliding. And they're wondering why God doesn't listen to their prayers. Why doesn't God pay attention to our fast? We're doing all these religious rituals that he expects and God is not answering our plea. And Isaiah tells them that God wants something more than just their ritual. He wants something beyond their religious rites. And he says this in Isaiah chapter 58 verse 4. He says, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is it not this kind of fasting I have chosen? To lose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer and you will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and you will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail prophet tells his people, listen, if you want to be restored to God, if you want God to renew you, if you want to be reconciled to God, then you need to get rid of your violence. You get, need to get rid of your malicious talk and you need to spend your energy on behalf of the hungry, on behalf of the oppressed, to do compassion. But it seems like God's people have always had trouble with that because the prophets have to remind them over and over again. So when Jesus came and he began his ministry, he, he, his very first appearance at a synagogue, it was his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. And, and when Jesus goes, he, he gets to read from the scroll of Isaiah. And listen to what it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Talking about Jesus. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. At the onset of Jesus' ministry, Jesus sets his agenda. He said, I came to do what has always been in the Father's heart. I came to do what's, what's given in the Torah. I came to do what's given in scripture, in wisdom literature. I, I came to do what the prophets have proclaimed. I came to do what often the people of God have felt to do. But I came to proclaim good news to the poor, to set the oppressed free, to liberate the captive. I came to meet the needs of people, physical and emotional and spiritual, because I am that kind of savior. I am that kind of Messiah. I am that kind of redeemer. And those who know that Messiah, those who know God's heart, should not be surprised by Matthew 25 and, and how God will judge in the end. Those who know the love of Christ, those who have experienced his compassion, his power in our lives to change us, to, to call us by grace and, and to bless us beyond measure, will want to demonstrate that same love for others. See, the point of the parable is not that people get into heaven by doing good deeds. It's, the point here is not that if you feed the hungry and give water to the thirsty and put clothes on the poor and, and you visit uh, the sick and the prisoner and you welcome the stranger, then that's how you get to heaven. That's not what it's saying. That these kinds of compassion acts are not the means of salvation. Salvation is by grace. And that's why it's important that, that we really stop to read verse 34 again, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Notice that it's the initiative of salvation is with the father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. It is God who saves and he saves by grace and he saves by sending Jesus to a manger to be a servant, to suffer, to walk alongside those who are hurting and brokenhearted and needy. And then to, to go to the cross and suffer the pain of death, we'll never know how much it cost to see our sin on his shoulders. That's what he came to do and it's because of his death on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb that we can have salvation. It is a free gift of God. He called us before the creation of the world. He established his salvation in Jesus before you and I were born. We can only come to God, we can only have eternal life through Jesus. It's not by our works. It's not what we do that matters to salvation. It's what Jesus has already done. It is finished. So then why is, is judgment day about these things? Because it is the evidence of true faith. Because it is the evidence of people who know Jesus. Because it is the evidence of those who have experienced the love of Christ. Salvation is by grace through faith. But when you experience salvation, then compassion will come forth from your life. Feeding the hungry and, and clothing the poor and welcoming the stranger. Compassion is the DNA of the children of God. Compassion is the DNA of those who have trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. It connects us to a father who's loving and merciful and compassionate. It is a distinguishing criteria of the kingdom of God. Of all the religions and all the people who claim to be religious today, 
Those who show compassion are the true children of God, who know Jesus as Savior and show compassion. We serve a kingdom of righteousness. And then third, we serve those with whom the king identifies. The idea of caring for the poor and the needy is not new. It's all over the Old Testament. But what is really striking in this parable is the fact that King Jesus identifies with them. Let's look at verse 40 again. It says, then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus is declaring that when we feed the hungry, when we give water to the thirsty, when we clothe the poor, when we welcome the stranger, when we visit the sick and the prisoner, we are serving Jesus personally. The king identifies with the most vulnerable. The, the one who, who is on high in all his glory with all the angels identifies with the lowest, the most needy, the most vulnerable. And that those who fail to show compassion to them fail Jesus is verse 45. He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. The gospel changes everything. The gospel changes us. It changes our families and it changes whom we serve. It changes how we see our lives in the light of eternity. We serve the vulnerable because when we do, we serve King Jesus. And I'm so thankful for Calvary. I'm thankful for individuals in our church and, and our church as a whole because of the way that you live this out week in and week out. There are so many ministries in our church and so many ways in which grow groups and individuals are engaged in this. I wouldn't have time to tell you. But, but one of the ministries that, that I'm so thankful for is our Bread of Life ministry. Our, we are an agency of the RGV Food Bank. And so every month, uh, Marco and Olga Ramos go with a group of volunteers to the food bank and they pick up pallets of food and they bring it over here and they put it lovingly in bags. They pray over those bags. There's a, an army of volunteers that comes and then they show up on the second Saturday of the month and there are families who are just needing a little bit of help every month. They get to come, about 150 families on the average come to Calvary and they get a bag of groceries and they get a big smile and they get people who say, God loves you and they are here to pray for them. That number of families will grow in November and December up to 200 families. But, but I, I submit to you that Jesus identifies with each one of those families. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And those who do show that they belong to him. I want to just pause here for a minute and say that uh, the food bank gives us, we can get great food from the food bank. Uh, we're, we're an agency and, and some of our budget goes into that. And we have rice and beans and pasta and canned goods, but we don't get a lot of protein. And so uh, in our church, sometimes we've asked grow groups and we were going to ask grow groups this November to collect peanut butter. Sometimes our grow groups have collected so much peanut butter that we've had enough for almost a whole year so that these families can have protein in their diets and, and, and so that Jesus can say, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Another ministry that you get to support in our church is 13.2. 13.2 is our ministry to, to, to welcome the stranger. It comes straight out of Hebrews 13.2. That's why it's called that. 
and, uh, and in a ministry to immigrants on both sides of the border, as we partnered with multiple agencies, over the last year, we've, we've distributed 100,000 bottles of hand sanitizer, 250,000 face masks, 30,000 bottles of water, 2,240 Bibles to immigrants, 2,100 blankets, 22,000 travel blankets, 1,000 travel pillows, and 1,000 hygiene kits. People ask sometimes, is the gospel about spiritual issues or about social issues? And I will submit to you, the gospel is about spiritual issues, but it's also about understanding that social issues are spiritual as well. You know, in the summer of 2021, with E3 partners and, and some of our people in our church, as they worked in the migrant camp at the square in Reynosa, 400 people made decisions to make Jesus their Lord and Savior. 70 of them were baptized on the spot. And four organic churches were started right there and then. Veronica was one of these immigrants and she said, I am eight months pregnant and I can't find my husband. We traveled together for weeks to get to American soil. Sadly, he was taken by the drug traffickers as we journeyed through Mexico. Although my heart aches, I met great people who love God. They have counseled me regarding my husband's situation. When I felt discouraged, they prayed for me. I know God has not abandoned me and that he cares for my husband and my child. King Jesus identifies with Veronica and with each of these people. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Those who do so show that they belong to him. Now, one of the things that we've discussed here at Calvary uh, and our pastoral staff is that sometimes we need to give a fish to someone, but oftentimes we need to teach them how to fish. In other words, there are times that, that we get to give uh, and stand in the gap in a crisis moment, but we want to empower people to fend for themselves. We, we don't just want to give a hand out, we want to give a hand up. And, and so under uh, the leadership of Pastor Chad Mason, we, we've developed over the years sustainment projects. These are ways in which we invest so that people can continue to receive from the fruit of that investment way beyond our contribution. So for example, we help to plant 1,000 coffee plants in Chiapas, where missionary Ofemia Bonifaz works. And so every year he gets to harvest his beans and sell them, and, and he helps to feed his family, and he helps to further the ministry. We help to buy 1,000 quails in the Philippines so that four pastors could have a quail farm that produced quail eggs, because that's a commodity in the Philippines. And, and by doing so and selling these quail eggs, some of these pastors have doubled their income and been able to feed their families while they serve the Lord. We had a part in helping to plant 100 pecan trees in Barras de la Fuente, Coahuila, just south of the border, where there's a children's home, a ministry to, to vulnerable families. And these pecan trees are, are supposed to produce pecans that they can sell, and it will help support the ministry beyond our donation. And one of the most exciting Sustainment projects for us is the Maasai Springs Water Company in Kenya. Some of you know uh, Bishop Moses that's been in our church. And our members from our church have gone to Kenya. And they discovered that in that part of Kenya uh, where the Maasai people live, there's very little access to water. In fact, there was no access to water in that region. And so many of our church members, along with our missions committee, invested thousands of dollars to drill a well there. And they found water. 
And they built a high-capacity well that today is able to fill up six water towers. And they have four water trucks to transport the water. And, they, and they, this water benefits 100,000 people and one million livestock. And I will submit to you that Jesus identifies with each of those people. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And those who do show that they belong to him. There are many ways in which you help make this happen. When you give, when you pray, when you volunteer. I could tell you story after story of lives that are changed. We would be here all day or for a couple of days. But I want to tell you one more story. It's the story of Maria Peña. Maria Peña lives in Peñitas. It's some of the colonias that are west of here. And in 2019, Maria, Maria's husband died unexpectedly. They lived in a small trailer home, and she and her son Leo didn't know what they were going to do. She, she knew how to bake, and, but her oven was not very good. And so she went to the Buckner Family Hope Center in Peñitas. That's one of the ministries that we support with our offerings there. And there she was received, she was loved, she was encouraged. They, they ministered through counseling and through advice and guidance. And I would like for you to watch this video and hear a little bit more of Maria's story. Yo empecé por un gusto para la familia y después poco a poco fui, fui empezando, empecé ofreciéndoselos a los amigos, a los vecinos y después poco a poco me fueron, ellos mismos me fueron recomendando. Con ellos en eh, la clase de Itan empecé a administrar mi negocio porque no, no sabía cómo y ellos me ayudaron bastante. En las clases eh, tomábamos cuánto medida, cuánto gastaba, cuánto invertía para sacar cuánto ganaba yo por mi, por mi negocio por hora. Tengo tres años yendo a, a Bognes y ellos me han alentado mucho. Para mí significa mucho porque nunca había tenido ayuda de nadie y nunca, ¿cómo le diría? Nunca he estado acostumbrada a que alguien me regale algo. Siempre tengo que dar algo a cambio para, para obtener algo. Y es algo muy, muy bonito y el grupo que vino nos, ayud nos ayudó bastante. Las personas que vinieron and Jesus identifies with Maria and Leo she says truly I tell you whatever you did for the least of these little brothers and sisters of mine you did for me and those who do show that they belong to him I want to thank you because as a church you've shown compassion through your giving through your service through your prayers some of you do that even unnoticed every week. I'm so thankful for our deacons because I see them visiting the sick and, and the elderly and the homebound, the widows and providing 
meals for those who are in crisis. I, I'm thankful that our deacons understand that to serve the vulnerable is to serve Jesus. And the question for us today is, as we believe the gospel and as the gospel changes us, will we focus on whom we will serve, the king, his kingdom, and those he identifies with? Will you believe the gospel and live the gospel out in such a way that, that you care for people holistically? Whoever they are, whether they're poor or rich, whether they're needy or not, really everyone is needy. We're all broken. We all need compassion. And that's what distinguishes us. Would you bow your head for a moment as you think about how God's word has spoken to you today and what you need to do as a response. Maybe it's to believe the gospel for the first time. To let the gospel change you. Maybe it is about stepping up and volunteering. Maybe it's about being generous when you give at Calvary so these ministries can continue. Maybe it's about encouraging your girl group to do something for the vulnerable. Maybe it's about following the Lord and believers' baptism or something else, whatever it is. Maybe you need to step up and serve as a deacon. Whatever the Lord calls you to do, say yes to him. Father, thank you for this parable. Thank you for King Jesus who will come in all his glory. We look forward to that day. And we pray that you help, help us be faithful. And we pray, Father, for those who are not in the kingdom yet, that our acts of love and compassion will bring them in so that they will know you. It's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.